Welcome to the Relational Parenting Podcast. I'm Jennifer Hayes, a parent coach and 20-year childcare veteran. Each week, I sit down with my own father, Rick Hayes, and discuss the complicated issues that parents face today, as well as some of the oldest questions in the book. From the latest research and the framework of my relational parenting method, we offer thought-provoking solutions to your deepest parenting struggles. Added bonuses include intergenerational wounding discussions and guest childcare experts. We will also start taking your parenting questions in episode five. So be sure to comment with your biggest questions or email me directly at jenny at jennyb.co. Let's get started. Oh my gosh. It is our 20th episode, you guys. I cannot believe we are here. We have 20 episodes under our belts and 10 guests so far. Unbelievable. Thank you so much to anyone who listens every week and continues to tell us that we are bringing something valuable to the world. Like seriously, it keeps us going. Um, and we really love what we're doing and we just want it to reach everyone that it possibly can. So thank you to everyone who is listening and liking and subscribing and sharing, um, with everyone that, you know, we really, really appreciate it. Um, and another really quick update, as you are hearing this episode, I will be headed out on my honeymoon finally, seven months later. <laughs> um, and we will not be recording episodes for two weeks. So here is your chance to catch up. Okay. Get all caught up on all 20 episodes, get them under your belt. Cause when I get back, it's go time for the rest of the year. We have guest experts lined up every other week for the rest of the year. And then me and dad episodes in between. So without further ado, our guest today is Malia Phelps Waller, a true powerhouse in the field. As a homeschool mom of two, a board certified behavior analyst and accomplished special education teacher, Malia brings a wealth of knowledge and expertise to our discussion. With a strong background in early childhood education, particularly in this preschool autism classroom, Malia's insights into creating effective and inclusive learning environments are unparalleled. Her passion for helping children learn through play and understanding their unique learning styles is truly inspiring. But it doesn't stop there. Malia's personal journey as a sibling to a brother with cerebral palsy has shaped her perspective and fueled her commitment to making a positive impact. She understands the importance of individualized education and is dedicated to empowering parents, teachers, and caregivers with practical strategies and innovative approaches. All of the things. And so Malia, yeah, tell us about you and where you started and um, how that, how your parenting shifted I guess, from where you came from and then into, into actual motherhood, what that looked like. Oh man. Okay. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like this is, are you ready for me to unload like, on you? Right? Yeah. We yeah. have an hour. That's the idea. My history. Well, um, so you, okay. right. Yeah. So First thing, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, actually, so this might be new to you. I am the sister of a brother who has cerebral palsy and physical disabilities. Oh, I'm not sure if that ever came up, um, yeah. but I do think that plays into my history and how I ended up 
where I am now that makes a lot of sense. and where I yeah. went. Um, so yeah, so I am 10 years older than my siblings. I have twin siblings and my brother mm-hmm. was born with cerebral palsy. So he is almost hmm. 30. Gosh, that's crazy to think. Um, <laughs> and he lives with my parents still as an adult. Okay. Um, and he is in a wheelchair. He needs full assistance physically with everything he does. Um, so th- I grew up with that around me um, yeah. and living in that world of um, trying to make everything accessible, right? Mm. So that he could do everything that we were doing because that was so important. I um, love the way that so you I think said that. That is where I, gosh, I'm going to get emotional. Sorry, I wasn't prepared okay. for that. Um, so that is what led like three me times. on, right? <laughs> That's what led me on this journey through my degrees and teaching and homeschooling my own kids and where I'm at now. Um, So yeah, so I grew up with that and, you know, made it my childhood mission, my sister and I both to make sure that whatever we wanted to do, my brother could do too. Um, So that that. was something that we're really passionate about. And my sister went into a similar field as well in supporting people with disabilities. Um, And so, yeah, then I went off to college. I have a bachelor's degree in psychology. uh, And then I did like the corporate thing for a while. Yeah. (laughs) Can't really do much in the DC area with just a bachelor's in psychology. So you can't do anything anywhere with a bachelor's in psychology. (laughs) Right. So I worked in the government contracting world for a couple of years, and then I just really felt like I wasn't following my passions anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I went back to school again at George Mason University and got my special education Mm -hmm. master's degree. Um, And that led me to our local public school system where I was teaching in the preschool autism classroom, um, which was an applied behavior analysis based program. They call it the enhanced autism program locally where I am. So I taught in that classroom for five years. Um, I didn't at that point have any official training in ABA therapy, applied behavior analysis therapy. Um, but I loved the classroom. I loved supporting the kids. I loved seeing their language grow. And, um, so then that led me down the path towards, uh, becoming a board certified behavior analyst. Uh, so I started that schooling while I was teaching uh, and finished it just a few years into teaching. Um, and then I got pregnant. So I I put that certification on hold. Um, yep. Right. And I pivoted. Uh, so I left that preschool autism classroom and I pivoted to assistive technology support. Um, so I was supporting multiple Whoa. schools. Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> so this is cool. my whole journey. Multiple technical schools. support. Interesting. Yeah. So preschool through twelfth grade, um, supporting students, teachers, and parents with assistive technology. So that could be something oh. as simple as um using speech to text on a computer rather than handwriting, or mm-hmm. it could have been something as complicated as using eye gaze technology to communicate. So I was supporting families across wow. the board um, and across all ages doing that. Um, while I was doing that, I decided to finish out my BCBA certification because I wanted yeah. to finish that project. Um, so I did that. Uh, and then I taught for another six years and then 
2020 happened and my son was due to enter public school and it was going to be virtual where we are. And I was like, he doesn't really seem like a virtual learning kind of kid. So we ended up homeschooling. Um, Yeah. And then from there, I've kind of just been amazed at how few resources there are to support families who have kids with specialized needs and who are uniquely wired um, in their adventures in homeschooling. There's so many resources in the school system that don't transition over to homeschool. Yeah. Um, Hmm. And so I wanted to use my background to support homeschooling families um, and build community and connection. So that is my current mission. So it. much support staff in a in a school district that would be hard to come by in a small homeschooling collective or certainly for a family. Absolutely. And so, I think another thing to think about is that um, the IEP process doesn't always follow families into the homeschool space. Um, mm. That's very dependent on what state you're in. <laughs> So it changes for everybody. Some yeah. states do provide services and some don't. They just um, they just cut you loose if you're not in the mm-hmm. building. Wow. Yeah, and it really it truly depends on your school district and the state you live in, honestly. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, there is I never thought of, of a that disconnect between that. So your student could have or your child could have been getting occupational therapy, speech therapy, physical therapy all through the public school system, and then you chose to homeschool, and none of that transitions and you're kind of left in the lurch on your own to figure all that out if you haven't already started in the private sector mm-hmm. oh my. it's wow. a lot it can be a lot well or like <laughs> or maybe your kid goes to school for a few years and then you decide to homeschool and then they lose all of their services so it's mm-hmm. like how do you choose like they're not right flourishing in the public school but they also are getting these services that you want to maintain if I bring mm-hmm. them home now, like it's like a almost like a punishment. Um, well, imagine the logistics in a school district. Uh, if you live twenty miles away from the school, but it's still government mm-hmm. funded, and it shouldn't that shouldn't change just because you're homeschooling. Like you're still following mm-hmm. the government curriculum and the amount of funding doing the school thing. X dollars, X kids. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's hard on both sides. Yeah, it can be. And I think it's so different no matter where you are. I mean, there's some great resources out there um, that kind of support parents in identifying what the homeschooling laws are, where they are, that are very state-specific. Um, yeah. But yeah, the the fact that it changes state to state and even the requirements for homeschooling change state to state. So yeah. like in the state of Virginia, where I am, you have to submit proof of progress every school year. Um And that Hmm. could be either as an evaluation from a licensed teacher or somebody holding a master's degree in an educational discipline, or you have to take a standardized Hmm. test and submit those results at the end of the school year. Um, But then I I know Hmm. other people who live in states where there's absolutely no requirement. You're just on your own. So it's kind of interesting. States' rights and everything is good in certain things, but it would be nice if you could move from state to state and have... Some things stay the same. Yeah, I think for military families who are homeschool, I think that's like something that's really challenging for them because they are bouncing constantly from state to state and having to relearn what the requirements are. Some states require record keeping, some don't. It's really interesting. Um, And in the grand scheme of things, like Virginia doesn't have 
super rigid homeschooling rules. There are some requirements you have to meet, but there are states that are very heavily regulated in homeschooling as well. So it's really interesting. Is that a good thing or bad thing? Regulation of homeschooling. I think it depends on who you ask. <laughs> some people would rather it be totally separate, right? Exactly. Um, and yeah. some people love having that support and that check-in. So I think it really is up to each individual family as well and what they like and don't like. Yeah, there's some comfort mm-hmm. in having, knowing you're following a, a program where, you know, where you know you're at least in the ballpark on things. But right. it could be real restrictive if you think you've got, if you've got your own way to go. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Malia, what what prompted you, like, obviously the pandemic, virtual learning, um, what prompted you and your husband to be like, nope, we're not putting him in school. We're going to we're going to homeschool. Like what? How did you make that decision? Yeah, I think, you know, the pandemic obviously prompted us to get started when we did. And I think that was the right decision for our family. Um, But I do think there are so many benefits in homeschooling that we've discovered along the way that are keeping us here. Uh, the, The time freedom for sure is one, the ability to lean into our kids' unique learning styles and not have to try to like teach to the masses, but teach directly how they learn Mm -hmm. best. That has been such a blessing for our family. Um, And to lean into things like new diagnoses. Yes, I have two. I have a four-year-old and an eight-year-old. Okay. Yeah. So we've got preschool and second grade. Nice. (laughs) Happening here. And then you were going into diagnoses. Yeah. So I think um, the other thing that it's allowed us to recognize is struggles that our kids might be having individually that may have gone hidden, I guess, for lack of a better word, in public school. I think my son Mm -hmm. is um, very intelligent, but he's also very good at um, hiding things that are struggles for him. Uh, and I yeah. think that in the public school system, a lot of kids are are masking, masking. what they're having a hard time with, um, <laughs> especially when it comes to ADHD. <laughs> yeah, um, and girls are especially good at it. Yeah, yes. And I'll, I'll be honest. I'm sure now the more that I've been in this ADHD research phase, the more I'm like, oh man, that mm-hmm. was me too. <laughs> And like I had, right? right? Like I came up with ways to cope and ways to mask. um, And I think that I wish that I didn't have to have gone through that, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of people feel that way also now looking back as ADHD is becoming more recognized and neurodivergences are becoming more recognized and talked about. Um, But homeschooling has allowed us the freedom to really dive into slowing down and pacing learning at a pace that is working best for our child Mm -hmm. and not have to be so hard pressed to catch up. And I think another really beautiful thing is that he's unaware that he's at a different level than his peers. And in public school, I think it becomes more and more obvious because you're being separated for certain subjects um, or receiving specialized assistance. And it's... Mm -hmm it's shown to everybody where at home we have the ability to just teach the way we need to teach. 
just do. Well, and you also mm-hmm. watch kid, other kids be like rewarded for accelerated learning or or someone, you know, you sit in a classroom with 30 kids and and you're especially you're if you different. have a learning disability, it's can be hard to be like, oh, they're getting rewarded for this or they're number one in the class and the classroom in this. And then it's like, I never win the awards. I never mm-hmm. am the best at anything. I, and, and it's, it's just, it's the culture of comparison and it's like, yeah. everyone's going to learn at a different level. And some, some subjects you're going to learn accelerated in some subjects you're going to need to slow down in. And that's the thing in, of homeschool that I really love is that if you are, you know, you have someone in your family who's capable of staying home and doing that, then you can't like, you really can. It's very personalized schooling at your pace. And it teaches you as you grow up to live life at your own pace, not at the pace Mm -hmm. of society or capitalism or blah, blah, blah. Like you'll figure all that out, but like really being in tune with yourself and your own needs before Mm -hmm. everybody else. Yeah. I think one thing that I've really seen happen for my kids is that self-advocacy. Because they can say, like, I'm feeling X, Y, Z. I'm feeling overwhelmed with reading right now. Can we take a break? And we can. Oh my yeah. God. We don't have to That's wait amazing. for everybody else. You know? Very individualized, so, yeah. Because then they tune being, out. Like, yeah, in school, think, they would just tune out and stare at the wall, and they wouldn't learn anything anyway, instead of being like, I need a break right now, and then I'll come back and learn this. Yeah. And I'm not hmm. saying that's not happening in public schools, the ability to request a break, because it, I know that that was something that we worked on and taught a lot of students, right, to self-advocate for themselves. Um, But I think it's a lot harder when you have, like you were saying, 30 other kids in the classroom and one person needs a break. It's harder to facilitate that. And especially more and more now as we're seeing so many teachers leave the profession, like there's just not enough staff in school buildings to support everybody's unique needs. And it's honestly kind of sad in my opinion as a teacher that so many good teachers are feeling that so heavily and are leaving the profession yeah not a good sign not a good sign and it Mm -hmm. can be so on the on the on the educational front certainly but then as your personality develops you know one of jenny's themes is is uh uh, early development and these these early experiences in school where you're different and singled out and you know compared and co- competing mm-hmm. I gotta I gotta stop and think about that for a while because you don't want to get to the point where you know you go to a karate tournament and everybody gets the same medal regardless of effort you know no, that's not right. good yeah. And, yeah but on the other hand you don't want kids grow you don't want to be imposing complexes on kids unnecessarily where they're feeling feeling inferior or inadequate or you know what a healthy way to say yeah you're reading you're we're doing your reading that's fine it's we you know you're not being unaware i guess that's an ignorance is bliss sometimes mm-hmm. kind of thing you know as long as you get there it doesn't matter exactly the route we took and whether you're the same as the kid sitting next to you or not well and i don't think huh. it's it's not ignorance it's it's not putting children every single day or the majority of days of their 
first 18 years of life mm-hmm. in a situation where they're in competition with other people over daily mm-hmm. living tasks. Mm-hmm. Like life mm-hmm. is not a competition. Like you can choose to do karate. You can choose to play a sport. You can choose to become an entrepreneur and throw your hat in the ring to be successful at that. But there, the reality of the world that I that I've learned in my experience from the way that I was raised in public school and everything was like, who am I better than? Who am I worse than? Who are like, who am I prettier than? Who am I uglier than? Who am I like skinnier than fatter than like just all of these, like it was a constant barrage of comparisons. And I'm not saying that kids should never be exposed to that. Um, or exposed to competition. Competition can be extremely healthy, but it doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to be this daily, like anxiety of survival where if I'm not like, like it just, it just crushes your self-worth. And it's like, none of that matters. Like you're learning the material. You're a different human being. You have different needs than other people. And your job is to navigate life on your terms. And sometimes you're going to run into competition and sometimes you're going to run into assholes and sometimes you're going to be an asshole. And like, you're going to learn all that through social interaction, but you don't need to be in this space where everything, everything is comparison a day in and day out. Everything is comparison and everything is, and you know, you can be the best teacher in the world and not make your classroom about that, but it's still going to be, it's still going to be there. Um, I don't know. And I think it's, it's ingrained in the system. I don't think that's something you can just squash out, you know, with a, with a small change. Well, you want Um, it under control and having it happen in the home with people who know you very well and are responsible for shaping you, you know, the home, the homeschooling thing would be a big advantage, you know, to meter out the competition judiciously instead of just leaving it up to the to the ornery kids. Yeah, I don't know. I think that can apply for homeschoolers, but also like there are co-ops and there are organized sports. And I think you're still exposed to some of that through Mm -hmm. those Mm -hmm. opportunities as well. So maybe it's minimized slightly because you're not all day, every day in a school building with a bunch of other kids. But I think you're still exposed to that kind of competitiveness through other areas. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is that there's a time and a place for competition. It can Mm -hmm. be good for you. It can be really healthy and and motivating and exciting, and it can build your confidence in the right setting. Mm -hmm. Um, But when it's about like pace of learning to me is what is something you're born with, how, what your brain, how your brain works, you're born with that. And minimizing or creating competition around the pace that someone learns something or the, the, the different subjects, like different kids are good, good or worse at different subjects. Mm -hmm. Like we all have different gifts and those are the things that need to be highlighted because it's like, we're not all going to be mathematicians. We're not all going to be scientists. We're not all going to be psychologists. We're not all going to be the same things. That's not what life is about. Um, but I feel like there's this focus across the board and subject matter in school systems where you have to be good at everything or you are unsuccessful. 
If you aren't a straight A or a B student, then you are an unsuccessful student. And it's like, well, I'm, I don't like these things. I don't care about these things. I need to learn the basics generics about these things. And then I need to move on with my life at the things I'm good at. And I think that the forced, I don't even know how we got here, but this kind of applies (laughs) to what you and I were talking about Malia before we hit record is you you were talking about it as a mom and as an entrepreneur and as a homeschooler, I was talking about it as an entrepreneur too, of like today I woke up today and there was a, there's a plan on my whiteboard with post-it notes and a list of tasks. And, but I woke up today and I can't even see straight. I'm so tired. And I talked to my business friend and she was like, lay the fuck down and take a nap. Like I got up at 6 a.m. ready to tackle the world. I got on the phone with her at 9 a.m. And by 10 a.m. I was on my couch, passed out. And I took that three-hour nap. Three hours too. I needed sleep. Three-hour nap. Woke up. Mm -hmm. And the last four or five days of my life have just been the most productive. Like when we pause and check in with ourselves, which is something we, you know, you are often not able to do in a public school setting. Um, they're getting better at yeah. it, but it's still yeah. not, it's just the nature of the setting. There's too many people trying to Earth. be taken care of when you stop and can check in with your actual needs as a human being and who you are and how you function. Mm-hmm. Like you can be so much more productive in the areas that matter in your life. And you don't turn into an adult with heavy anxiety every single day of, am I doing enough? Am I worth it? Am I, am I, am I behind this person? Am I ahead of these people? Like looking at their business and looking at that, like just stop, just like tune out the noise. You are where you are, do what you need to do. And yeah, with a little discipline and structure. Still, again, I don't know how we got here. I'm going to cut out half of this rant, but (laughs) Malia, what you were saying is like homeschool kids get exposed to competition. And I, and that's a thousand percent agree with that. And I think they get exposed to it in the healthy ways and not in the unhealthy ways of like learning Mm -hmm. ability is not a competition or a comparison. Go learn karate and compete in that. Go join the soccer team and compete in that because that is about hard work and discipline and practice, right? Mm -hmm. That's where you can go succeed and be like, I worked fucking hard for this and build your confidence versus this is just how I learn, mm-hmm. which is like there, innate. There are things that right. are it too. I think an aspect is things in and out of your control. When you're a little kid, yeah, you know, uh, your kid. If you're if a bunch of kids who are wearing much nicer clothes than your parents uh, choose to send you to school with, well, that's you know that's just they're just beating you over the head if if they're making that an issue as opposed yeah. to. I can become more social. I can work. I can spend more time back practicing math, or you know, the self mastery kind of competition, as opposed to just pointless comparisons. Yeah, I think that's true. I also think sometimes that the comparisons that kids are making are are not really coming from them. I feel like those are learned yeah. things that yeah. they're yeah. sucking yeah. in from outside yeah. sources, yeah. Um, and then not fully understanding what they're doing when they're yes in the example of wearing nicer clothes like i don't think my son really understands difference between the target clothes and the under armor clothes he has both he wears both um you know but i do think 
that that does come into play sometimes um, when you're out it does. socially. Yeah, especially with a bunch of little kids that are always, you mm-hmm. know, I, I, I have a, a, a velociraptor analogy. You know, kids are always testing the fences and looking for chinks, and that's their job. That's a good thing, but it's... Uh, uh, but they're kids, you know. Yeah. They're not. They're not necessarily fully socialized and polite yet. <laughs> yeah. well, and an I think explore. more and more these days, um, kids are exposed to more adult content through yeah. like easy technology mm-hmm. access and yeah. screen time and all those things um, that maybe weren't available <laughs> when we were younger. Yeah. Um, Different so, forces at work. Yes. Kids are growing faster in that way by being exposed to other things that weren't things that came up for same age peers years ago. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'm I'm developing the opinion that it should be illegal for anybody under 18 to get on social media. Like, like, like it, like if you see a kid on social media, it, uh, it ought to be treated like he's walking around with a loaded gun. There's a negligence there. It's like, get off of that thing. You don't need that. You know, it's almost like a loaded gun pointed at themselves. Like yeah, it's just, yeah. so, there's so many studies about how there's just so awful much it is crud. for you. Yeah. 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 I mean, pre, some good stuff pre eight, there, pre 16 or whatever. It's like all the studies are like, do not get on social media. <laughs> yeah. 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 That, it is wild and a little sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So Malia, I really, I want to talk about this little nugget that I've been holding on to since our very first conversation about you, when you talked about being a BCBA and how you, that mindset of behavior and um, analysis into which you you which you carried into your parenting, of course, how that shifted for you um, once you became a parent, once you were in the thick of it, once you were handling tantrums and emotions and attachments. Um, I'm curious what because because behavior analysis doesn't just go, it doesn't go away. It's not, it's a piece of the puzzle still. Um, but I'm mm-hmm. curious what else came into the equation for you when you became a mom? Oh, this is like such a big question to answer. I feel like first I have to say that, like, I think that applied behavior analysis and BCBAs get a bad rep for being like super rigid and totally ignoring emotions. And I yeah. know it's, it's not true. <laughs> First of all, um, so I want to clear that air. (laughs) I mean, a huge, a huge part of behavioral therapy is creating a relationship with whomever you're working with to help shape their behaviors. Um, so I know that like, that's like a hot topic and heavy in the media right now, um, and has been for a while. So I, I want to clear that up. Um, there's, there's not emotionless behavioral therapy happening out there. Um, Hmm. and I think one of the things that I loved as a teacher was, um, being able to build relationships with my students and especially through playtime of, I think a lot of our, um, preschoolers with autism are often thought of as, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like not being able to play, in a socially acceptable way. But I think that, um, 
that's not true. And I think that um, leaning into the things that they love to do and building on those in those areas is um, a great way to build relationships and shape behavior. Um, So anyway, that's my BCBA tangent. Um, Yes. But as a parent, I do think um, initially, like let's, if we're talking like infancy and like sleep training at first, I was like totally drawn to like programming the sleep training and having Mm -hmm. a rigid check-in schedule. And the more I did that, the more I was like, this does not feel good to me. Like Mm. there's a reason, right. That my baby wants me. And so leaning into that more and being available more in those ways, I think is something that has shifted for me. Um, Mm -hmm. Just that mindset of it being like a behavioral program. Yeah. And you're collecting all this data. Mm -hmm. um, Like that is an interesting shift from going from a classroom or a therapy session to parenting. Um, Yes. Data is good, but it's not the whole story. Right. Exactly. And sometimes the data um, is showing you that the programming needs to change. Right. Um, And that's true in teaching as well. So I think uh, in in any program, I think they mesh well together, I guess I should say, parenting and having a background well, on both sides, um, you know, it's a practical yeah. experience, hands-on experience, or, or you know, if I've dealt with a different kind of kid than you and your data set, uh, you know, that well, I say it, I'm not seeing what you're collecting over here, and you right. know, that's how you get better. That's how you get better data is finding gaps and practical experience. Yeah, I think where it's been the most, I don't, I don't know if difficult is the right word. Challenging is having a background in psychology and behavioral therapy and my husband not having that background. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I'll come to a situation and feel like, I don't know if frustrated is the right word. Feel like my husband isn't handling the way he should whatever's yeah. happening, yeah. which isn't necessarily true. It's just not the way that my brain has you been would. trained. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so like, I think that's been the most challenging piece. And I think when we first started talking, um, Jenny, I was saying like, I think you're pro- everything you're doing needs to happen for both parents because yes. that is the piece that, that is, is the, the hardest goal. in parenting is yes. that collaboration and being on the same page. I think mm-hmm. that is in teaching as well, you know, when you have co-teachers and you're sharing a classroom, the most beneficial thing for all parties involved is for everyone to be on the same page. Yes. Yeah. yeah that's part of why yes. there's, there's an impact when they're, when all, when your basic nuclear family, whether, where there aren't enough parents involved or, you know, there's other dysfunction going on. Another, another theme of Jenny's is, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to parent well, um, it's good if you get some of your own stuff fixed too, you know, right. It's mm-hmm. hard to, it's hard to have good practices when you don't, when you don't, when you're not regulated yourself and yeah, mm-hmm. that's complicated getting into, you know, co-parenting and ooh. yeah, that's another reason I, I named it relational parenting because I also am deeply passionate about parents coming to learning what, you know, my programs or whatever, or coaching, like coming to that together. Um, because in heterosexual relationships, um, I think it's something like 89%. It's the moms who are always like, we need to read this book, or I'm reading this book. And 
then they're trying to teach their husband that book and the husband, you know, nobody learns from their spouse because whatever that, whatever that is, that's a thing. (laughs) And it's very real. And, um, then, but if that, if that person read the book themselves, they'd have all of their own ahas and like, oh my gosh, this makes so much Mm -hmm. sense or whatever. And so that's why whenever I'm, I always give, um, a couple's discount. If you show up together, if you come as parenting Uh partners together to anything that I teach, you get a discount. Um, because it's so fucking crucial, um, that parents are on the same page. And that doesn't mean either that you are parenting exactly the same way because Malia, your personality and your husband's personality are different and your kids need both. Your kids Mm -hmm. need both of your intuitions. They need both of your personality inputs and your twist on things and your take on the world and your history and experiences brought into the parenting lens. But the general agreements between you of how you're going to treat your children, how you're going to handle specific situations, how you're going to nurture their emotional resilience and their, you know, building their confidence, um, and all those things, those general underlying foundational agreements, you need to be on the same page for, Mm -hmm. um, because otherwise parenting can, it can be so often can be the reason for divorce or really, you know, unhappy marriages. Um, because you're just constantly like disagreeing with each other about how to treat the kids. And one, one person gets defensive of the children. The other person gets defensive because they feel like the villain. And then, and it's all, it's just, yeah. And it's hard. Even when you are on the same page, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, again, I don't know how we got here. parenting are both hard. (laughs) Yes. All the things. But yeah, I mean, to, to, to go back to your, what you just said about the, the mom being statistically the one doing all of that. I think it's even more so just like whoever that primary parent is, right. Whoever Mm -hmm. is the person spending the majority of the time in the home with the kids defaults to being the person managing all of that stuff right um and I'll be the first to admit like we have activities in our family that are more like dad and son activities but I still have a hard time as the primary parent letting go of any kind of like understanding of the calendar of events and all of that stuff like I feel like you still have to be Mm. somebody has to be organizing all of those things or Mm. you know you're gonna double book yourself or I don't know, whatever. Uh, yeah, but but it's a lot of extra to be doing that, especially if you're also a working parent, I feel like that adds an extra layer of difficulty. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. Push pull in a relationship. Or if both Mm -hmm. parents are working, the kids are in school full time. And so it's like trying to organize the family calendar and, who's taking on that mental load and, you know, the way to do that together, split it evenly. And you've got to, you got to have some structures in place that make that operational because otherwise it's going to go to a default parent. And then that parent is going to get burnout pretty quick. Yeah. It's a lot. I've also seen a lot in like the Facebook homeschooling groups and places out there where there are dual working parents 
leaning towards homeschooling and asking questions about how days are organized and how work schedules mm-hmm. can be flexible. So I think there's like this whole movement, right, to continue mm-hmm. to be where we are as a nation with dual working parents, but also do that as homeschooling families. Yeah. Um, so it's really interesting to kind of watch. That would be cool in the next, you know, 20, 30 years to find out, you know, half the kids getting into Harvard and MIT were homeschooled, you know, if it becomes a real major trend. I think there's already a lot of that happening that we just yeah. aren't aware of. If you yeah. actually go to like Harvard's website, there are uh-huh. instructions on how to apply as a homeschooler. As a homeschooled mm-hmm. kid, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was going on when I was applying to college. That was st- that was still a thing. They were they were letting in, not letting in. They were giving equal opportunity to kids who had been homeschooled, regardless. Accrediting homeschoolers. Because honestly, those I think Harvard and those and a lot of those schools hmm. recognized early on that they when they got homeschoolers, those students knew exactly what they wanted to do. They knew themselves. They knew how to study. They like they had learned a lot more life skills that made them successful at university versus being programmed through public schooling. And like, like, and I'm just thinking of a personal example where I always in high school, I had straight A's. And so the attendance policy for me was I could miss up to nine days a semester and not have to take finals. If you had straight A's or an A Mm -hmm. in that class, you did not have to Mm -hmm. take the final semester exam. Mm-hmm. And you'd have to take midterms either. So I really never learned to study. I was going to say there were parents that when I was on the board that did not like that policy for that yeah. reason. That was not yeah. a good college program. And at the time, idea. and you even said that to me, I, but I remember in high school, I was like, I don't like whatever. I'll learn to, to study when I'm in college. Like, what did I know? Yeah. Good and I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. It was, I was awful at it. College was like, some of the worst years of my life. There's some of the best yeah. years of my life, but also some yeah. of the very, very worst years of my life. Yeah. And not just for that reason, for many reasons, but, um, but I think that homeschoolers learn life skills that because they aren't spending eight hours a day in a classroom, they're spending a couple um, learning material and then moving on with life. They're learning how we've talked about this and you're, you mm-hmm. offer these things inside of your homeschool membership. Um, you bring in people who teach life skills um, and how to incorporate, like bringing your kids into the kitchen and teaching them to yes. cook as you're cooking the meals for the week, yeah. um, bringing them out to the garden and and being like, these are bell peppers. These need this much water per week. And so we've got to turn these little knobs on and let them run, you know? And Mm -hmm. like if if a kid could learn to grow food, like in little tiny snippets on a regular basis, they could learn how to cook and bake and do their taxes and do the monthly Mm -hmm. finances. Like let your kids sit in on all of these big adult activities and then participate in pieces where they're like, I've had two-year-olds with a plastic butter knife, cutting up the mushrooms for the dinner I'm making that night, sitting in their high chair with their yeah. little plastic knife. And they all, oh, they light up. They're like, I'm helping cook dinner. Like they love it. And teaching kids, having more time and space to have kids learning life skills, not just academic memorizations and mm-hmm. grades mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. so powerful. Real life, real life. Yes. 
that's something that we really dive into, as you were saying, in the membership that I run. Um, Particularly that example you gave of being in the kitchen, like we've had an occupational Mm -hmm. therapist turned baker come and share with us all of the skills that you're using in the kitchen that you might not even be thinking you're using. Break it down. Um, And I mean, if you like, there's so much math involved in being in the kitchen, especially in baking, right? Because you're adding your fractions, you're doing conversions, you're doubling recipes, you're having recipes, you're doing all these things that are such high level math skills, right? Yes. Um, But then you're also using your fine motor and your gross motor and your understanding science and what temperature something bakes at for how long. And there are so many skills involved in just our general and basic life skills um, that you can really pull and honestly kind of drop a curriculum if that is not for right. you. It would really change. And you'll the learn curriculum. all of these things yeah. just in real time. Yep. Cool. Yeah, yeah, baking. I never thought of baking, you know, cooking, even running a house as kind of a story problem. Seems like story problems was a a major thing in school for kids to to grasp to be good at so when when everything becomes a story problem that's got to help with that yeah i mean real life scenario you have a thousand legos and you need to put them in one box what size box do you need (laughs) Mm, yeah you you know there's all that kind of real life problem solving Uh, trial and error and if you're not ready for the big problem yeah yeah Um, learning to estimate Mm -hmm. mm mm-hmm Yeah, logic and reasoning, science and baking, math and baking, and like all—I mean, it's all in there. And it's a—it's a more natural, hands-on way to learn all those skills, and they stick instead of write these fifteen problems over and over again on a piece of paper. Yes, yes. And I mean, there's still space for that. I think there's space for the traditional curriculum. Um, But something I love to model for people is kind of breaking away from that too, taking your five math problems that you're going to solve and handwrite outside and use chalk on the driveway instead of yeah. sitting in a chair, let your yeah. whole body be active and Make involved. And for, yes. Yeah. And for so many of our kids who have attention and spatial awareness issues, getting outside and getting their whole body involved in the task takes that yeah. pressure off. They're not... Yes trying so hard just to focus on the piece of paper in front of them and sitting in the chair, they can actually mm-hmm. focus yeah. on the math because their body can yeah. do whatever it needs to do. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so I really love to share that with people too, that kind of teaching outside of the box. That's powerful. That's isolating what's essential in the learning and living right. area, right? You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, learning is not necessarily sitting still and writing between the lines neatly. Yes. And it's really on what your priority is. Is your priority that your kid can sit at a table for 30 minutes without getting up? Or is the priority that they are learning these addition skills? And so thinking about it in that perspective. (laughs) For 30 minutes. Right. But that's the expectation in a public school. You're sitting at your desk. And there are accommodations made for some kids, but maybe not the only if you like have a diagnosis and it's like and you have an IEP and you have like most children arguably whether you have ADHD or autism or like any whether you have a diagnosis or not you like typical kids like science has proven there are tons of studies that being outside and learning through play and 
interaction and just natural daily activities, it like kids need that. All, all of all children need that. All people need that more mm-hmm. than they, you know, and there's, yes, there's like, you've got to, you have to be able to sit down and write on a piece of paper to, in order to learn how to write. And you've got to be able to open a book to learn how to read. And, you know, there, there are skills and there's, like you said, a time and a place for the, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic. Um, mm-hmm. But there's, it's like we've swung so far in that direction. We've mm-hmm. lost so much connection with what actually gives us yeah. life. And what works. Yeah. yeah. And letting who's kids to play say, too. Yeah. Who's to say that's not actually the best way to do it, you know, mm-hmm. rather than our industrial regimented sit still, do it this way. You know, trying to do well, it and we know from our education way. series that that's that was a this public school system was created to create factory workers. So we already yep. we know that this system is not ideal for actual human beings to be like for, for people running standing and running machines and and, and, yeah. and whatever you know industrial revolution kind of thing. Maybe yeah. this is an evolution homeschooling. Maybe that's the way. Maybe that's the way human beings are evolving. Well, if you really so think mo- about it, like homeschooling is is what the old ways were pre-public yeah. school, right? Exactly, like- <laughs> exactly. Pre-industrial, well, like a very small, and- very yeah. small, like schoolhouse, right? And it's mm-hmm. all ages, yeah. and the little kids were being taught by the teacher, but they were also being taught by the sixteen, seventeen, and eighteen-year-olds who had that yes. knowledge too. And it was more, much more co-opt um, and community-oriented versus. Yes this industrialized yeah tribal and the older ones who are teaching just like older siblings helping with a family you know they're learning child care they're learning Mm -hmm. it you know the older ones are learning yeah yeah mankind got along with that for thousands millions of years before yeah yeah i think there's some truth to that what you were just saying about the olders teaching the youngers um i think as adults we take for granted all of the things that we've learned just from living life yeah, and experiencing them. Um, yeah. And so maybe our kids aren't getting those same experiences that they could yeah. be getting yeah. Um, when they're in the brick and mortar schools. <laughs> so Malia, what are some of your other, um, we've, we've touched on a lot. We've talked, um, but I want <laughs> to highlight what you're doing as a homeschooler and as a, um, an entrepreneur who has started this membership for other homeschooling parents. Um, and we'll link all of that in the show notes and whatnot, but, um, so people can find you, but you, you have such a breadth of, of knowledge because of your behavioral background and because you're now homeschooling, um, your own kids, one of whom, um, has ADHD, right? Yeah, that's the okay. I couldn't remember if we actually mentioned that specifically yet on the episode. Um, But you so you have this like wealth of knowledge and like, like tips and tricks for also, you know, if your ADHD or isn't learning this this way, the here's 16 other ways to teach it like, (laughs) right? Well, you're you're what you're vision problems, right? Too? Yeah, so my I son mean, has, has both the the ADHD diagnoses and um, okay. 
he's in vision therapy for um, getting some support there. So the, the ophthalmologist has shared that there are similarities in the symptoms of some struggles with vision and ADHD. So it's a really interesting Uh, path to be on trying to see if, as we modify vision is, are the symptoms that are characteristically seen with children with ADHD going to get easier or, you know, it's kind of like an interesting, as someone with a psychology and behavioral background, I'm like fascinated with that. Right. right? Is it the vision therapy or is it the accommodations and modifications we use? Um, the tools we use to support executive functioning, which one is is making the most impact. So that's kind of been yeah. an interesting right. thing to kind of observe. Um, but I do think that there's truth to both. So I think that we've seen an increase in our desire and his desire to read independently, mm-hmm. for example, Yay. the longer we've been in, on the vision therapy track. But I also see um, his interests to his desire to dive into learning also increase as we've kind of leaned more towards following his interests, getting his body moving the way he feels best in his body versus sitting down with a book at the table uh, and that more forced. Um, And we do experience things uh, where he is in a more school-like setting with Mm -hmm. with a co-op. But I will say, like, at the end of that day, he is white. He's tired. He works hard to keep his body sitting at that desk. And so to think about kids who are having similar struggles being asked to do that for seven hours a day, five days a week, like, there's (sighs) no, there's no doubt in my mind that that is where these things you hear so much about um restraint collapse and kids who come home mm-hmm. from school and just melt down because Exhausted they've been having to hold it together yeah. all day yeah. long they haven't had yeah. enough of an opportunity to get their own needs met yes. um so i'm or just super grateful their bodies. for that yeah right yeah. um and i do think that's becoming more uh well researched and pushed out in public schools, those like brain breaks and, and all of that. But, um, the ability to really lean into that and have that self advocacy and awareness to say, like, I'm really tired from all the things I just did. And I need a minute to myself to kind of refresh. (laughs) So that's a really cool thing. Um, I feel like I got sidetracked. So what did you, what did you want me to share? I think we both interrupted Jen. (laughs) That's okay. I, so, um, I was wanting to know what are some of your, cause you have, you have a little bit of a niche with your homeschool membership. Um, so Mm -hmm. I'm curious, what are some of your like most common tips or most common advice or most common questions that you're getting from your community as homeschoolers, homeschoolers of kids with unique needs? Um, you know, what is really helping kids learn when sitting down at a piece of paper at a desk isn't working? Yeah. So I have a lot of people who come to me and they just are tired of fighting with their kid Mm -hmm. to get them Mm -hmm to do schoolwork, like that more traditional schoolwork. They're very resistant to it. Um, And so the first thing I always recommend is that leaning into the relationship building and just play, have fun, Mm. be available to do what your kids 
want to do and forget about the rest because the rest can come and it can come so quickly once you've established that relationship right and you and you're doing things that they love to do um so through the monthly membership we have our guest speakers come in like you mentioned um i provide master classes every month on whatever the topic of the month might be we've had topics like um sensory integration and identifying sensory systems and how to leverage that in your homeschool. So that might be something like identifying how your kid likes to move and what uh, that is meeting for them, what need that's meeting for them. And then using that in a way that you can also kind of add in those academics that you also want to target. Um, So that can be similar to that example I gave of using chalk outside to do your writing versus writing on paper. It could be riding your bike and spouting off, you know, something that you have to memorize a historical fact, but doing that as you're riding your bike and checking in in that way, rather than kind of like flashcards. Um, So just Mm -hmm. kind of thinking outside of the box and how you're, you're helping your kid learn. Um, and playing towards the things that they love. So something that's coming this month, I'm really excited about in June is a quiz. So when you join the membership, you'll get a quiz and it'll help you identify your kids' unique learning style. So whether that they're more of an auditory learner, if more of a visual learner, more of a kinesthetic, full body, hands-on mm. learner. Um, and so that is going to be helpful for a lot of people, I think, to help yeah. kind of narrow down and find that path. Um, And then I also provide every month a purposeful play pack on a curated theme. So um, this past month was all about gardening and I have five activities that are playful, but also target other learning skills for each age level. So I break it down into toddler, preschool, um, I call it big kid, but six to 10 year olds. And then um, teens and all the way up to, you know, grandparents. And so there's five activities every month that they can do, um, as a family or just with those individualized ages, um, to make learning fun and kind of dive into skills on while doing regular things. So in the garden example, it could have been mapping out. I know this probably speaks to you right now, Jenny, mapping out your format and deciding what plants you're going to put in the garden and then doing that research and learning about um, what can be planted next to each other for that perfect garden experience. So things like that are suggestions that I make that, you know, are honestly things that we're probably all thinking about, but I think we forget to think of them as learning experiences. Um, So I like to provide all of that. And then also a a coffee chat face-to-face Q&A every month where we can kind of collaborate because I think something I realized was missing for me as a homeschool parent that I had as a teacher was that space to collaborate with others and really dive into, Hey, I'm really struggling with this right now. Do you have any suggestions that have been working for you? And I think some people have that privilege of having and knowing other homeschoolers in their community and some don't. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to provide that for people who are feeling alone in this and don't have that right now as part of their homeschool community. Cause I think that's so important. That could end up being a real effective network. If a representative of the consortiums, it sounds like a business kind of thing, would could get together periodically and share so that the two people with a unique, you know, you, your child has a combination of 
ambiguous things that the medical community is having to tease apart and trial yeah. and error figure out. You know, if the, the seven people that are in a similar situation could get together and have a cup of coffee once in a while, that would be really beneficial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the goal, right? To kind of be in a space with like-minded people who have those high-energy hands-on. Mm-hmm. Maybe you have a, a diagnosis of some something. Maybe you don't, but you have symptoms that align and struggles mm-hmm. that align with someone who might be diagnosed with ADHD um, or other neurodivergences um, to kind of get in that space and feel safe. Cause that's the other thing I feel like a lot of people don't feel safe in talking about that. Um, They, they don't want back full circle back to that feeling of being judged or being compared. They're not ready to speak to that publicly, but in a safe space where other people have been through similar experiences they're willing to kind of come and collaborate and get that support. And I think that's really important because it can be super homeschooling on its own can be super isolating as a parent. But then when you're throwing in these specialized and unique needs, it can be really challenging. Yeah. Well, and you can do it in your PJs and you don't have to leave (laughs) your house and you can just show up. You don't have to shower. No one can smell you. (laughs) You can just be like, I'm here. Like you can just be like, I just like run in like, like you're sliding into home base with your coffee cup. Just got the baby down. I'm here. Like, let's Tom talk. Cruise. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And that, that is exactly how I want it to be, how I want that safe space yeah. to be. And there is absolutely yeah. no judgment if there are children screaming in the background. Like, yeah. Right. We, we all live that right in our day to day as homeschool Get parents. Used to so it. real life. Um, yeah. Real life is totally welcomed. <laughs> I want to touch, I want to touch on one, one more thing. And then we are, we are at our hour already. So crazy. I know. Um, but I want to touch on one thing that you said a few minutes ago when you were describing, um, what you were talking, you were talking about lots of things, but you said when parents are struggling with something with, that's what it was with the, the fighting to get their kid to do their schoolwork Instead of trying to fight the behavior, can we look at the child and meet the need yes. instead? That and that's something that I that I absolutely preach on. Um, that we actually I don't know that we've actually really touched on it too much on the podcast yet. Um, But where I always say that behavior is communication, behavior is a child's primary form of communication, even if they have a full spectrum of language, um, verbal language, even as adults, we communicate through our behavior. And so Mm -hmm. if you can look at a, at a two-year-old, a five-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 15-year-old's behavior, and instead of reacting to the behavior, pause and go, what? is what need are they communicating with me? Okay. My child doesn't want to sit down and do their homework instead of being like too bad. You need to sit down and do your homework. You have to do your homework. There's a deadline. You've got to do your homework. Like this urgency thing, just Mm -hmm. pause and say, okay, it can be as simple as like, okay, why don't you want to do your homework? Well, I don't like it. Okay. What don't you like about it? And just engage in a conversation where you're curious about them versus Mm -hmm too bad you have to do it, or it has to be done by this time, or when are you going to get your homework done and engaging in this power struggle 
like just get curious and yes. and find what's behind that need because either along the way in that conversation or if you hit the need on the head and it's like oh you need a snack or oh you need a break <laughs> Mm-hmm. whether whether it's the solution or the journey to the solution you are going to have such a a powerful effect on your relationship and connection to your kiddo um that the next time it's time to do homework each time after that that it's time to do homework it's going to get so much easier mm-hmm. and you guys are going to be able to communicate so much better and you're going to be able to set up the environment so much better for your child's success versus yeah. These again, like this strict structure of rules of how things have to be done. Yeah, you're also teaching the kids how to. I mean, that's where you put the relational in the relational parenting thing. You know, you're you're modeling for your kids ways to treat other people too. Yeah. You know? So they'll when they run yeah. into that situation, they're more likely to hearken back to how they were dealt with, and uh, not be so rigid or authoritarian or uh, you know, unproductive. Just you know. Yeah. And I think it's really important to check into all of your sensory systems as well. So like we're all trained that there's five sensory systems, but there's actually many more than that. Mm -hmm. Um, Hmm. And so thinking about that as well, I had another occupational therapist whose um, passion is sensory systems come in and chat with our community this year. And it was so cool to hear her teach about all the things we forget to check in about. Um, yeah. And it's not just, are you hungry? Do you need to go to the bathroom? Um, those are part of it, right? But there are yeah. so many more. Do you need to yes. move your body? <laughs> yes. Do you need to, you know, so many more things that you can move. check in on. Yeah. Um, and I think that's another thing that um, you were saying, checking in on the snack and all those things. But maybe you need to also... Um, add a wiggle seat to the chair so that they're getting that sensory input that they yeah. can still wiggle while sitting at the table. You need to cover half of the worksheet because mm-hmm. it's visually overstimulating and they can't focus on the one thing that they need to start with. Yes. Maybe you need to break down the task into tinier, smaller steps for them because yes. their executive functioning isn't letting them do that. They haven't learned that skill yet on how to break tasks down. Um, So really diving into all the different accommodations and modifications you can make to simplify the task and help them get started Um, and then build back up right to your full worksheet or whatever. But um, thinking about all the different ways. Yeah. Those tools. Yeah. And doing it alone, learning it all yourself for every situation would is just isn't possible. You know, I'm, right. I I keep coming back to the value of this collaboration thing, listening to different people, learning from other people who have got a little different experience than you do. You know, absolutely, and not just the quote unquote experts, the people with the degrees in fields, but the other people who are there in the thick of it with you. You know, there's so much value on the life experiences of other families who are doing exactly what you're doing. And maybe they've been homeschooling one year longer and they've found this one trick that's really worked for them. Um, You know, it's both sides. It's the professionals and it's the people in the thick of it with you who can really add a lot of value. Yeah. Back to the data. The data is good, but it's no substitute for hands on. And Mm -hmm. yeah, both both are necessary. Very interesting. I got to learn more about the whole sensory thing. Yeah, it's super fascinating. (laughs) 
I can send you some occupational therapists that I love. I would to appreciate kind of follow. that. Yeah, yeah. Send me some authors or some uh, yeah stuff. You know, I, uh, uh, we've got some of that in my family too. Yeah, I really admire that. That's a powerful story you started with, um, with having a having a sibling with CP and and wow, that uh, that can be a that can be such a powerful motivator going forward in life you know you've yeah you've been there mm. yeah he's inspired a lot of good in in the world yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. when you're out here you're out here changing it you're out here helping other people serve their kids well that's the goal the ultimate goal yeah. right is to yeah. to be that community and that collaborative support yeah. for people who don't feel like they have it is there anything that we haven't touched on either about you or um, your community or anything that you would hope to talk about today that we haven't touched on? No, I don't think so. I don't know if you want to speak about like free resources that I offer or any of that or just Absolutely. have it in the links. Whatever. Yeah, we'll have it in the <laughs> links, but tell every tell everybody what you got. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I have put together what I'm calling the homeschool toolbox. And I have that um, linked in all my social media. Um, But if you go to maliaphelpswaller.com forward slash homeschool toolbox, you will find in there not only a checklist for you as you navigate starting homeschool, but also um, some purposeful play eBooks that I've put together, some ideas of ways to think outside the box, if you will, and start learning in hands-on ways through sensory play, through utilizing things like board games. Um, So all of those resources are together in the homeschool toolbox. And excellent. I love to share that with people. That's amazing. I love it. I've told you a million times, but I want everybody else to know that I've said this. I will, once I have children and we're headed into the homeschooling, hopefully that's the goal <laughs> to be homeschoolers. Um, I will be joining her com- your community <laughs> and using all of your, all of your resources. Um, awesome. Yeah. And we will link that in the show notes. Um, and then you have a membership community as well, um, where you support homeschoolers in real time. You offer monthly classes and real live coffee chats where they can talk directly to you, ask you questions. Yes. Yes. So purposeful play pack, all the ideas you could ever want to stay entertained. (laughs) Yes. If you need that. And, uh, yeah, we have a lot of fun in how do you do that? Really like over community. Zoom? Do you have, a, I mean, you get a, a number of people and just all interact yeah. at the same time? So we have cool. a private community. Um, we meet through Kajabi Communities. Uh, so there's an, a okay. private app where you can access all of the materials. Um, okay. And I house all of the replays in a podcast format. So that's available as well if you can't make it to live. Because I know parents are busy, especially right. parents of high exactly. energy learners. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's hard uh, to sit down and focus on improving. Yeah. yeah. So we have a private podcast feed to catch the replays. Or if you're a video person, you can catch the video as well in our private app. Um, and then we have challenges in, during the month to kind of check in with each other. And then a once a month live chat over over Zoom that uh, we kind of meet together and check in on what's going well and where we might need some extra support and do some kind of reflection and collaborating. So okay. it's a really fun, fun place to be. Cool. 
Awesome. Beautiful. Well, I love what you are doing in the world and, um, making the world a better place. I feel I'm like, I could, I have so many more things to talk to you about. We might, I know we need like a round two (laughs) or, you know, just a private chat. (laughs) Yes. This was so fun. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Nerves be gone. It was, it was a casual chat with you two. And it was so great. And I love your dynamic as well as I listen to the podcast. It's just so fun to, to have this perspective. I think I told you that when, when we first chatted Jenny, that I think it's such a cool idea to have the different parenting perspectives. Different generations. And, yeah, and, yeah. The generational yeah. differences. It's really cool. Well, Malia, great yeah. to meet you. Thank, thank, thank you, you for so all much. this information and any, <laughs> any resources me. you've got. <laughs> This is tremendous. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll put yeah. together some some things that I've loved. Share them with you. Cool. <laughs> and awesome. I'd love to follow along and see what what you guys are putting out too. It's so interesting. Thank you. We Excellent. appreciate it. Yeah. We appreciate the support. That's the, that's that's the that's the idea. We share stuff and make the world a better place. Yeah. That lifelong learner approach to life. Yes. Yes. All right. Thank you, everybody, if you're still here. (laughs) 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 Thank you, Malia. Um, Yes. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Enjoy your vacation. Thank you. Bye. Well, did you learn anything new? Or have you heard all of this before? Do you agree with us? Disagree with us? Have a question? We want to see you in our inbox or via the Patreon page in the show notes. Tap on either link to send us your feedback, share your own parenting story, or support our mission of providing a connected community for all parents. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you loved this episode, click on that little star and give us five of them so we can get visible to other parents who are looking for us. This is your weekly reminder. Parents, You already have everything you need inside of you. You are a strong, loving, capable parent. And here, you are never alone. I'll see you next week.